You can turn your Bibles to 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. First uh, Peter chapter 3. As you begin, I want to ask you to, um, to think back to your childhood. And I know for some of you that's a really long way to think back. Um, why are you looking at me? Kim, what are you? She looked at me. But, but, but think back to, to your childhood. Maybe it was elementary school or middle school or high school, somewhere around those, those days. And do you remember um, those days where maybe you went into class and you didn't get your homework done? You didn't study the way that you should have. You weren't necessarily prepared. And you're sitting in class and you're just hoping that the teacher doesn't call on you to answer the question. Remember that? That feeling of like, don't pick me, don't pick me. Catherine, you were the like, perfect student. I, I, remember, I remember one time in class, um, what, what we would do is the, the teacher would call people to the board to like, solve the homework problems. or uh, It was Latin, so we were translating sentences. And for whatever reason, I hadn't done the homework that day, but I could just go up on the board and translate it. So if you think that I had done the homework that day, there were ways around things, you know, like, but you're just sitting there like, don't call on me, don't, don't call on me, don't call on me, right? And then you always have that one kid in the, cath- in the class, Catherine, who's like, pick me, pick me, I know the answer, right? Right? But like that kind of terror that, that comes upon you is like, what if I, what if I have to answer this? Or maybe it's like sitting in church and you ever felt like, you know, people are praying for others, and it's like, hey, Dennis, pray. And Dennis is going, no, don't pick me. I don't want to speak out loud, you know, like, not, <laughs> or, or anything that's like, hey, don't pick me, don't pick me, because it's that nervous of, like, I don't know what to say. Um, what if I say the wrong thing? We're all kind of fearful in that way, right? Like, even on Sunday morning, I've been lead pastor here for 10 years, and I get up here on a Sunday morning, I'm like, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? I'm going to forget everything. I like that, that, that nerves, those nerves that come with being in front of people and having to speak out. Well, when, when it comes to our faith, we've been talking about how we're called to bear witness to the goodness of God, right? To the love of Christ, uh, the gospel of Jesus, the salvation that's in his name. And I don't know about you, but if, um, if, you're, if you're shy, maybe like me, um, there's some, some fear or um, hesitation sometimes when it's like you're in a situation where you have an opportunity to speak out and you're like, eh, should I or shouldn't I? Those, those types of things were like, God, God, don't call on me to do this right now. Like, don't pick me, don't pick me. But, but the scripture tells us that, that we need to be ready to answer, to give uh, the reason for the hope that we have. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And this is going to set our course for the next several months. As, as we talk about this calling to bear witness, we have to be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that we have. And so we're going to read here in 1 Peter 3 and see what we can learn from this, all right? We're only going to look at a few verses of this, but we're going to read a big chunk. We're going to start with verse 8. 1 Peter 3, verse 8. It says, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil, or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil." 
Verse 13, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for, for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And we'll stop there. So today we're going to talk about being ready to give an answer. And I wanted to read a, a we're going to center in on verses uh, 15 and 16, but I wanted to read a larger chunk of it so that you could get the context. You could get a feel of what's happening and why Peter is saying what he's saying. It's always important when we read scripture that we don't just pick a verse out and um, uh, take it out of its context. We, we have to understand what's going on around the verse to get the real heart of what the author is trying to say, what God is trying to tell us, right? So in this passage here, Peter is talking about living well, right? That, that's kind of been our theme that I talked about that last week. Uh, whoever would love life and see good days, right? He's talking about how do we um, live rightly before God and, and have good days before God. And he's talking about this even in the midst of suffering. The church here is, is being persecuted. There are people who are working evil. There are people who are insulting. And he says, don't uh, repay evil for evil or return insult for insult, but repay evil with blessing. Well, that's, a, that's a difficult thing to do because our natural reaction is to defend ourselves, to strike back. And when, when there's an attack, we, we want to counterattack. But he says, no, bless instead of curse, right? So he says here that, hey, it's, it's good, or even if you suffer for, for doing what is good, endure it, right? Like, don't give up on Christ, don't, don't turn around and attack, but even when you're trying to do the right thing and you suffer, hey, that's okay. God is going to look after you. And he says here in verse 14, do not fear their threats and do not be frightened, right? So don't stress out about what they're doing. Don't be afraid of them. But here's what you're to do. He says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And there's some background here that um, when I first read this, I'm not necessarily aware of. I, I talk about this quite often, how like the Jews, when they hear this, they're really like steeped in, in the Old Testament. And they, they know, like when they hear a verse from the Old Testament, when someone speaks it, they go, oh, I know where that is, right? Um, this, this is actually a, a reference to Isaiah chapter 8. And in Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah is talking to the people and he says this, he says, do not call conspiracy everything these people call a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it, right? So this idea that, first, that, that Peter's talking about here in 1 Peter of not being afraid is, is from Isaiah 8.12. And in verse 13 of Isaiah 8, it says, The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread, right? And so Isaiah is taking this idea, excuse, 
excuse me, Peter is taking this idea from Isaiah and he's talking and encouraging the Christians in 1 Peter chapter 3. And so he tells them, do not fear what they fear, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. And this word for revere is the word for to treat as holy, to regard as holy, right? So we are to set Christ apart. The word holy means something that is set apart, that, that's separate and, and, and um, set aside and set out so that, that we can focus on it. It's not like the other things. It's separate, right? And so he says you need to uh, revere Christ as holy. You need to set him apart as Lord. And he's equating this, putting this on the same level that we see here in Isaiah. In Isaiah 8.13, it says, The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy, right? So you see the parallel between Isaiah and Peter? He says, he is the one you are to fear, and he is the one you are to dread. In other words, he's telling these Christians that in the midst of the suffering, do not be afraid of those who are persecuting them. Do not fear men. Rather, you should fear God. And not fear God in the sense of he's going to come and punish you and, and beat up on you and all these types of things, but, but he's the one who has ultimate authority. Don't fear what men can do to you, but rather serve God. Follow Christ as Lord. He tells them, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Lord. Christ is the one who's in charge. And he has rule over all of our lives. He reigns over every aspect of us. This idea of doing this in our hearts. You know, a lot of times in, in the modern area, when we, we talk about the heart, we, we tend to think of emotions, right? Like we have Valentine's Day coming up. You're going to go to the store. Anybody celebrate Valentine's Day? Boys, girls, remember that's coming up. We don't really do a whole lot at our house for, for that kind of thing. But if you do and your spouse expects something, it's coming up. Warning, like two weeks, right? <laughs> um, but you go to the store and there's hearts on everything, right? And it's ooey-gooey, gushy, kind of like lovey stuff, right? And so we uh, very much heavily associate the heart with em emotion. But in, in the ancient world, for, for the Hebrews, as, as people are writing this, in the, in the biblical times, the Old Testament and New Testament, uh, they had a little bit bigger view of the heart. And it was kind of like the center of personality, right? And so it was um, the way that they think. It involved their thought processes and their minds. It involved their emotions that encompassed the way that they feel. But it and it also um, spoke to matters of desire and wants, right? So our minds, our emotions, our desires. And he's saying that in these realms, in these spheres, Christ has to be number one. It's Christ that's in charge. He's the one that you set apart, that you revere as holy, that you uh, revere as Lord. And even in the midst of people attacking you, don't fear them, but rather serve Christ, right? That's what he's getting at here. Follow Christ as Lord above all things. And then he tells them that not only are they to follow Christ, but they're supposed to be in a state of readiness. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, right? And so the idea here is that as you're following Christ, you need to be prepared to explain the hope that you have. There are going to be people who look at your life, look at the way that you conduct yourself, 
look at your joy, look at your hope, and say, there's something different there. What's going on? And when we're called on, we need to be ready to give an answer. He says that we give this answer, and this word answer is, is really interesting. It, it means a reply or a defense. It's actually where we get the, the word apology from, although that's not exactly the right idea here, right? Like when we apologize, and the way that we use the word apology is, hey, I'm sorry that I did this, I was wrong, right? That, that's not exactly what it, what it means here. Um, but what it, the idea that it carries is the idea of a defense. And it can have like a legal connotation, right? Think about a courtroom. You've got the prosecution, and then on the other side, you've got the defense, right? And they're going to give an explanation of the facts to show that this person is innocent, right? That, that's, that's the idea, and that, that's the goal. And so they're, they're giving a reasoned argument presenting their side, right? So this word was used in the context of the court in that sense of a defense, but also in just, in general, the idea of an explanation. Hey, why is it that you have hope? Why is it that you believe what you believe? And he says, basically, people are going to ask, and we need to be ready to give the reason for our hope. We have this expectation, this hope in God, that God is going to ultimately deliver, that God is going to save, that God works in our lives, that he, that he speaks, and that, that he takes care of us, and he provides for us. We have this hope that we, that we live with, and when people ask, we need to be ready to give the reason. So I kind of see this playing out in a couple of different ways. Right? In, in one way, I think it has to do with our story. Like, if someone were to come and say, hey, why do you hope in God? We all have a story to tell. We all have a testimony. We all have a time where God met us. You know, I was talking with someone this week, how, and how, how did you come to know the Lord? And I got, to, I got to share my story about how I met the Lord here in this place, downstairs, in one of the classrooms on a Wednesday night, because there was a faithful lady coming and teaching kids. And she talked about the goodness of God and our need for a Savior and forgiveness that was offered in him. And I put my, my faith in him, right? Like, that's, that's my story. Like, God revealed himself to me in those moments. And all of you could tell some version of that story where God met you and you knew that he was real and you recognized the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin and you recognized your need for forgiveness and a Savior, right? Like we, we have these stories of encounters with God. And it doesn't just end there. Your story, your testimony doesn't just end the moment you met God, but you've got an entire life that you've spent with him. Many of you for decades and decades and decades, no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> have, have walked with God. And like we sang this morning, all my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good, right? We can recall all the things that God did when he showed up and, and met us where we were and offered us grace, spoke into our lives in times of brokenness, uh, provided for a need that we had, right? We have these stories, these experiences that we have with God, and that's part of sharing the reason for the hope that we have. There's another aspect of this I think that's important, and we're going to be spending our time on it in the, in the next several months, as I said a few moments ago. That is the truth of God's Word. Like, what are the things that that God reveals to us about the world and how we should live in it, right? We spent a bunch of time uh, in December, November, talking about the Bible and how we got the Bible and why we believe it's the Word of God and all those types of things, right? And so we are going to use the Bible as our basis 
for the way we ought to live, right? This is God's standard. This is God's word. It was inspired by him. And the scripture says it's useful for teaching and training and correcting and and rebuking in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, right? This This is God's word to us that we might know how we might live rightly before him. And so it teaches us about his goodness. It teaches us about his justice. It teaches us about what is right and what is wrong. What are the things that we ought to pursue? What are the things that we ought to avoid? And we want to be able to explain why we believe what we believe. We have all kinds of decisions to make on a daily basis. We encounter all kinds of people in this world. And there are going to be times when there's opposition, just like the Christians are facing here in, in, in 1 Peter. And there are going to be times where people are open to receiving the gospel or open to hearing about God. And we have to be ready to give an answer. And so our goal for the next few months is to, ta- is, is to, to tackle some of the questions that we have maybe some of the, the tougher topics. Maybe we know what we believe, but we're not really sure how we might explain it to someone. We, we're not sure how to quite answer. We're just not comfortable. Do I really know what God says about this? And the Word of God um, is questioned and undermined, and we as His followers need to know what we believe about these things and why. We want to be clear about it and be able to explain it in a way that is full of grace and truth. So some of the things that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the nature of faith and what's sometimes called the hiddenness of God. And maybe you've heard uh, a non-Christian say something like this. Well, if God is real, if God is there, why doesn't he make himself more known? You know, why doesn't he write his name in the sky so that everybody would know he was there? You ever heard any questions or, or had any thoughts like that? We're going to talk about that kind of thing. We're going to talk about the, the problem of evil, and we're going to talk about pain and suffering, and what do we do with all the pain and suffering? And if God is a good God, why is there so much heartache, and why is there so much brokenness? How, how do we answer, answer questions about um, suffering and evil in the world? We're going to talk about divine judgment and God's uh, justice and goodness and how he will ultimately deal with evil on the earth. We're going to talk about things that have to do with uh, the sanctity of life and race relations. We're going to talk about God's design for marriage and sexuality and gender. We're going to talk about our responsibility as citizens of this earth. Yes, we know that we are citizens of heaven, but we're also uh, placed on this earth in different areas, and we have different responsibilities depending upon where we are to live as a broader community as followers of Jesus in the midst of a culture that might not be following God, right? And how is it that we are supposed to bear witness to Christ in all of these areas? There, there are reasons and answers that we can give. Whether they're accepted or not is, is not up to us, but we are to be ready to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that we have. And so those are some of the things that we're going to be talking about. And what I outlined there is some really deep stuff that's going to take months and months to unpack. But just so you know, that's, that's where we're going because we want to set apart Christ as Lord. Not my own thoughts, not the thoughts of the prevailing culture, not what the majority says, but, but who is the one that we're serving? It is Christ. And so we want to live Christ, uh, live life the way that Christ says, and we want to follow his word with faithfulness. Now, it's important here that as we begin to talk about these, 
these reasons, Peter reminds the Christians in the midst of suffering that when they do give the reason for the hope that they have, there's a particular way that they're supposed to do it. And this is important as well because it's one thing to have the answer. It's another thing to be a jerk when you give the answer, right? Like that's not, we want, that's not what we want to be. That's not how we're supposed to respond, right? We're supposed to be ready with an answer, but there's a particular way that we're supposed to do it. And it says here that we're to do it with gentleness and respect. And this is the idea that when we give this reply, it comes with humility, that we're not overly impressed with ourselves, we're not proud of ourselves because we've got an answer for this and we're going to explain to everybody how they should live and what they should do. There's, there's no like haughtiness or, or, or pride. We're not puffed up. We're not bullying. We're not demanding. But rather, we're humbly saying, hey, this is the truth. And we're doing it with gentleness, respecting the other person because they are made in the image of God. And God has given them freedom just as he has given us freedom. He's given them freedom to choose right or to choose wrong the same way that he has given us freedom to choose right or wrong. And we can't violate that freedom. We're never going to force someone into the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to beat them over the head with the Bible to get them to believe that that stuff just doesn't work. But we want to be able to answer and do it in a way that shows respect and gentleness. We're not trying to force people, but rather we're trying to uh, give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to work in their hearts and lead them to the truth. He says that we have to speak the truth with a clear conscience. And this is about that part of us that understands that there's a right and a wrong, right? Like we all have that, that sense. I was reading some commentaries on this earlier this week, and they're talking about how to communicate this idea in, in another language because not everybody like has the word, not every language has the word conscience. And so the way, the way they phrased it was that little person inside of you, right? And it made me, made me think of those old cartoons. There's like the angel on one side and the devil on the other side, right? Like, I, I, I don't think that that's necessarily how spiritual beings work, but we get the picture, you know, like whenever you're tempted to do something wrong, there's that part of you that's like, don't do it. And there's a part of you that's like, but it looks good, <laughs> you know? Like, like you want to keep a clear conscience before God, and we want to make sure that our conduct is right. He, he says that you keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously about your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So again, he's talking about people suffering for doing the right thing, being persecuted for doing the right thing. And he says, don't let that change your behavior, but let your um, behavior reflect the goodness of Christ, right? It's, it's in the sphere of Christ that we are acting and working. And he says, those who, who speak ill of you, one day they're going to be ashamed of their speech. It may not be here in this life, but one day God will reveal himself and you will be vindicated. And so when we share this answer, it is not so that we can feel good about ourselves. It's not so that we can be proud that we got caught on and we gave the right answer. But when we give an answer for the hope that we have, it is for the good of the other person. Because God desperately longs for them to know him. God desperately longs to heal the brokenness in their lives. God desperately longs for them to see his goodness and experience his joy and eternal life. It's about them and it's not about us. And our job as we go about bearing witness to Christ in our world, in our families, in our jobs, wherever we find ourselves, is that we are to be ready to answer. 
that we follow Christ as Lord first. We're not following the, the, what's popular. We're not following what will get us likes on Facebook. We're, we're not following what will make other people happy. We're not, we're not following whatever anybody else's opinion is, but we are following Jesus first. And then we are able through the power of His Spirit to bear witness to Him and explain the reason for the hope that we have. And as we do it, we're gentle and kind and respectful, honoring that person as a creature of God, keeping a clear conscience and living rightly before Him so that our conduct will be a testimony of God's goodness, not repaying evil for evil or insult for insult, but repaying evil with blessing. That whoever would live life and see good days would keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. That they would turn from evil and do good and must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. This is what we're called to. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this time that we've had to study your word together. And Lord, as we move into this new year and this new season, I pray that we would focus and center our lives on you. That the things that we do uh, the ways that we structure our lives, that they would be built around you and what you're doing and your purposes in us. God, we thank you so much that you've showered your grace upon us. Lord, thank you so much for forgiving us of our sins, Lord. And when we fall short, you were there as we confess you are faithful to forgive. And Lord, I pray that you would empower us and give us boldness as your people to bear witness to the grace and goodness of God that's available in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would prepare us, that we would be ready to give an answer for this hope that we have in you. Work in us. We ask that you would, through us, bring about the salvation of those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.